Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Iron Cannon Podcast, your home on the Star Wars Underworld Podcast Network for in-depth discussion on lore, the High Republic, and the whole darn canon of the galaxy far, far away. My name is Matthew, and I am joined across the continent by your friend and mine, Mr. Joel Davis. Joel, how are you doing this week? Yeah, am I okay, Ahsoka Yeah, I'm doing good. <laughs> Well, you know, like my baloney uh, impression. I think I want to go race some uh, some cars down in Marin County there, uh, or up in Marin County from your perspective. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, thanks. For... <laughs> yeah, this is great. Uh, this week uh, we're stepping back and diving in. Pick your metaphor. Talking all about the differences between George Lucas and Dave Filoni when it comes to the galaxy far, far away. One's the master who made the sandbox. The other is the apprentice who certainly left his distinctive mark on it uh first off get the plugs out of the way follow us on twitter and instagram at iron cannon pod cheers to everyone on the Star Wars underworld facebook and the Star Wars underworld twitter as well as the iron cannon twitch uh we're there as well tractor beam uh, i'm gonna I, the first week I, I take a mulligan had to things got kind of backed up but usually uh comic books come out wednesday i got my <laughs> tractor beam weekly review on friday ish uh on apple apple podcast and spotify um i'll grab this there were there were five books that came out like five books uh three of them here by mr charles soul i i don't know when i don't know when that guy sleeps but anyway um i read four of them uh there are three more coming out this on wednesday so we'll see what i do tune in (laughs) friday uh uh spotify and apple podcasts also, um, this is the Star Wars Underworld YouTube channel. So we got YouTube memberships and super chats are ways if you're here on YouTube to, to chat with us. Of course, in the comments, we do our best to get as, to as many comments. But if you give us a super chat, we are guaranteed to get at it. Uh, Discord, Star Wars Underworld Discord. We're chatting. We're hanging out. We're not spoiling Bad Batch of Mandalorian. Uh, if you want to mute uh, that, that whole channel and unmute it when you're ready to dive into spoilers. Uh, yeah, and... Just hanging out there generally, Joel. You got a, an event you want to plug? Um, oh, yes, yes. This Friday on the Star Wars Underworld Discord at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, we are going to be hosting again another Fall Guys game night. So come on down, have fun with us. <laughs> yeah, those are those are usually pretty fun. Uh, if you're if you don't have Fall Guys, if you just don't feel like playing, what I usually do, frankly, someone just shares their screen while they're playing and i just sit and watch along and chat away and uh in the, in the voice chat or yeah i mean joel you, you do a great job of, of welcoming people in and out uh of the game and, and so if you want to if you want to join in uh yeah you and ben really done a great job building building the community here in star wars underworld and so uh yeah grateful for that ken just saw your comment there um <laughs> 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. We're, we're here every week, every Monday. Uh, but yeah, you know, glad you have a lazy day at work and can, uh, or, you know, when you have a lazy day at work, whatever. Um, you know, glad you can join us. I should say that. Okay. All right. Let's move on along. Um, so, so this is, this is a weird week. And the next few weeks are going to be kind of weird. We're going to have double eye on screen, have both our eyes on both our screen and four eyes on the screens. <laughs> that's working. Uh, first up, we got um, Mandalorian season three, episode one. Actually, I'm going to get rid of that banner there. Mandalorian season three, episode one, aka chapter seventeen. The apostate Mandalorian is back finally. Uh, Joel, dive in. What do you? What are your thoughts? 
Yeah, uh, and if you want to hear even more depth thoughts, go to Doc Holocron's channel where we do our best guard, everything called the best guard breakdown, um, or best guard broadcast. Um, but yeah, um, pretty fun uh, season premiere overall. I felt set up a lot of interesting plots for this season. We see uh, the children of the watch, they seem to be growing in strength and numbers again, as Mandos are not having a good uh, decade. Uh, this time of year, uh, we see good old Navarro again. It's looking good. It's a little like Galaxy's Edge. It's looking cool. Mm-hmm. Um, the Grief Cargo getting those cool robes, little droids, giving him a, giving him a little, helping him out. Uh, we see pirates, Pirate King. Uh, that's cool. The state of piracy in the galaxy far, far away. Mm-hmm. And a really cool looking ship. Um, and of course, we know that Din is got to go to Mandalore because he thinks that if he takes the bath in the holy waters, he's going to atone for his sins. Um, and thus, asked Bo Katan for some peoples to help, but she's not having a good time. All she just needs is a glass of wine and see if we fit that part well. Give Kitty sack off, throwing back the wine there. <laughs> Bo Katan's not having a good good yeah. life either. She's not living the good life. Mm-hmm. Uh, overall, lots of interesting setup. Oh, and space whales. We saw some space whales. Yay, space whales! That was epic. Uh, but yeah, a lot of interesting setup, and I think it's going to be a very interesting season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean, a few, a whole bunch of things to to note here. I mean, overall, yeah, I thought it was thought it was a good start. Um, you know, one of those, you know, first episode. Enough happens, like I think you mentioned. Yeah, but you know, it definitely leaves you wanting more, wanting to see more. But yeah, g- good setup. I won't be able to really judge. It's kind of too early to judge, really. What, what, uh, what I think and feel and hope for about this season, I will say some interesting things about yeah time for. I can I can bring it out. I can break it out. Theology time already. We're we're six minutes in. I'm already breaking out the theology time. Um. So so the the armorer, uh, she takes a, a little shell and dips it into the water, and that I mean I think that has something to do with creating the the helmet for the new initiate, the new fountain or new kid. We don't know who that kid. Well, they have his name, I think, but we don't know the story at all. Um, baptism by a shell. So in in the East, they there's a tra- in Eastern Christianity the tradition of just going full into the water into the river. In the West, they kind of get got a little more. I don't quite know what the history of us is, except to say, um, as we baptism, whipped out, we whipped <laughs> out. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Um, <laughs> I love that actually. <laughs> Full body immersion or else. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think partly because of baptism just being such a routine thing as part of childbirth. Uh, and because all you need is a little bit of water on the kid. Yeah, the, the shell became, uh, the seashell became a symbol of, of baptism as in initiation through water. And, uh, and it was a really powerful counterpoint just in the visual cue bringing my mind to first of all to this this kid that's being initiated as a full member of the children of the watch and also then within and what he's up to and uh you know is he he has to go to Mandalore like I said be baptized in these waters be rebaptized in a way which um could be i mean it, it's it's a metaphor like most Christians don't actually believe you can be baptized again. You don't need to be baptized again, but there's also a tradition of saying um, repentance to, to how do I, how do I put this for 
people who don't know what the word repentance necessarily means, um, being reinstated as a full member of the community is reclaiming the meaning of your baptism. And, uh, and it really raises this deep question. Um, and I know, uh, Joel, you guys kind of went on into it a little bit, um, on, on, uh, on Doc's show on Doc's channel, but, um, Din's complicated relationship with Mandalorian tradition, including the watch, especially the watch. Oh, is yeah. he, you know, with the title, is he actually an apostate? That's what this, this, episode really raises is he goes down he keeps his helmet off he's doggone committed to going to mandalore and, and going through those waters is he really an apostate does he actually maybe genuinely seek re to rejoin the children of the watch uh, i doubt that but uh i think there's there's something there's still going to be some pull there about the the <laughs> beliefs about what you know the, what the um is Mandalore poisoned? Is it cursed? Um, like I think well, that ritual is still going to be meaningful for him somehow. We just don't know how. And and this is the question you guys got into: is how does this relate to the series Endgame? If Din is going to be the leader of this new new Mandalore, uh, is he going to just eschew all creedal traditions at all, or is he going to? Learn is is Bo Katan rubbing off on him? He's going to learn some more flexibility, um, and, and you know, just to be to, and, and open to more diverse expressions of what it means to carry on the tradition of Mandalorians. And I still wonder in that this gets to my mind. This is a bit of a non sequitur study. What is Satine's legacy in that? Because she was so off the beaten path, and uh, yeah. So I'll I'll pause there, and then I'll, I'll get a, a few more things. But uh, yeah, Joel, if you want to respond to stuff, I, I laid down. Yeah, we definitely thought, felt that the season's overarching theme was going to be about religion and Mando religion. Yeah. Uh, I brought up the interesting point here in the podcast that I got the impression that the children of the Watch were growing in number because mm -hmm. more Mandos are converting to these very dogmatic, radical yeah. views because uh, Mandalore's not in a good place right now. And sometimes when you're not in a good place, you either go one way or you go the other way. <laughs> um, so, you know, they're, so they're like kind of like that, like, you know, but we shall not remove our helmets because Mandalore <laughs> has just been destroyed. Um, in terms of Mandalore being cursed or poisoned, um, uh, because uh, uh, I got the impression that Mandalore essentially, it got nuked. It, <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the Hiroshima and Nagasaki yeah. of the Star Wars galaxy. It is... You know, just go there and get cancer, pretty much. Like that's why I didn't need not canceled cancer. Cancer. That's why I didn't need to get ID eighty eight, which I didn't mention in my summary. Yeah. Um, so you know, there's there's that, and you know, um, one of the reasons I find Bo Katan such a fascinating mm -hmm. character is she she's not super dogmatic. I mean, she takes off her helmet and stuff like that. But she believes enough in the dark saber legend, yes. and I think that's interesting. And my buddy Red Leader, who was also with us, um, he brought this up during the podcast. Mm -hmm. Now, um, they could go into a lot of why, um, you know, her relationship to that dark saber. Because mm -hmm. keep in mind, Maul had the dark saber. Maul won it fair and square. He did the thing. Yeah. And Bo-Katan's like, nah, you're not gonna rule Mandalore. But she's also like very much the you must fight this because he who she who or they who wields this saber is the king of kings or can mm -hmm. be king of kings if they want. 
But yeah. this is also the saber that cut off her mentor's head. Right. Like, you know, the saber she, that killed her sister. Saber that killed her sister. The saber that yeah. killed off her mentor's head. The mentor she betrayed her sister for. You know, it's like, so, like, what's her relationship with that? Mm-hmm. And kind of just, you know, psychologically, what are we all feeling about these traditions and whatnot? Because I yeah. think Bo-Katan is, she's pragmatic enough to know that she has to kind of get the saber Mm-hmm. But I don't think she tr- believes in all of these, you know, really weird dogmatic things of like, you must not wear your helmet and you must do the right. thing on the third day of the moon <laughs> of the sunrise. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, right. it's sort of it's sort of that. I do think mm-hmm. and did I think is a believer because I think he just kind of doesn't know what to do with himself still. No. Um, and you know, I, I I'm gonna be honest. Here's kind of my hot take. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants Din Djarin to be the king of kings and the Mando of Mandos. Honestly, I think Din's happy ending is just him realizing, you know what? Yeah. I got the baby Yoda. I got the clan of two. I'm good. Here you, and then just mm-hmm. go off in the sunset like we're a clan of two. Yeah, just go around the galaxy helping people out. You know, I don't need to be the king of kings. Hey Boba, you're you're you got you're doing politics better than me. You're making your own creed here. Maybe you can be the the king of kings for the Mandos. You're not all about the blood. Yeah. You're a clone. So there you go. But then Jin's like, I'm out. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's a that's a great point. And and I'd be that'll be a satisfying ending. And now that you mention it, I kind of kind of want that. And I kind of think that would make more sense because there be i mean there would be there's time to do it there's time to like we said if season four or not we said but like the news the report saying if season four is not going to be the end and there's time for din to grow into a leadership role but yeah he doesn't have to you know <laughs> it could be yeah go off in the sunset like you said interesting point about uh boca 10 and planet kalevala and this is Mm-hmm. Shout out to my buddy Din uh, from F105, not Din Jarn, Din from F105. Kind of make that clear. Um, so Kalevala is um, in in Clone Wars. Dave Filoni and George Lucas and Filoni were both going to say that's where the Kree's clan is from. That's their yeah. their home planet, their stronghold, etc. Kalevala is also the ancient name for Finland, the mythical name for Finland, and. Um, Din uh, on his Facebook, Din from F105, who is, who is part Finnish, by the way. Um, uh, he he reflected on that and said, you know, there, there's she, you know, here's Bokatan morosely lamenting this bygone era of, say, the ancient glories of Mandalore and of, of ancient Kalevala and of all that kind of like the way a lot of Scandinavian people now are, are very, I mean, not everyone's totally depressed and, and, morose but uh there are higher rates of it uh in part i think due to the climate and 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 maybe a a loss of influence in bygone age and um all these themes about yeah the greatness of mandalore being gone and thinking about how bo-katan i mean being gone thanks especially to the empire in part thanks to uh i mean the republic took advantage of her sister's pacifism to come in i mean that's the whole thing with the siege of mandalore is that they they land first sure yeah i mean well just the whole i mean the clone wars overall but um yeah small first but really i mean it's you know the the you know the was a 332nd ahsoka takes them down and down there 
They said, oh, yeah, we'll leave once everything's fine. But, of course, they never leave. The Empire takes them over um, or takes over Mandalore, as we know. So uh, there's all these layers there and mm-hmm. about her hankering for this past in which uh, in, and I think her, her hankering for the Darksaber and for power is part of that. She does believe she's the rightful heir. I mean, the the episode that she's in in Mandalorian season one, I believe, right, is called The Heiress. Or is it season two? Can't keep it straight. So, yeah, interesting little bit of a uh, you know, little tidbit that leads to some more speculation there. Yeah, like I said, she's a, a fascinating character. Like, she betrays her. There's this Mandalorian civil war that happens, you know, before the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. For some reason, she betrays her sister to... Yeah. to, to Pre-Vizla? Pre-Vizla, right? Yeah. Pre Vizla, right? Pre Vizla. To Pre Vizla. They're all voiced by John Favreau. Um, John Favreau <laughs> is, is bloodline. It's the Favreau bloodline. Uh, Tar Vizla is going to be voiced by John Favreau, isn't he? Oh, yeah. He, he will. <laughs> I, I guarantee it. You know, yeah. Pre Vizla, you know, he's okay with helping out Dooku early on, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, Pre Vizla is like, okay, Dooku, we'll side with you. Um, Dooku No, it's Dooku first. Remember, First, they yes. ally with Dooku in right. the in the uh, before Maul shows up season two. Um, yeah. Then you know she becomes like a terrorist. They're just burning down villages. Mm-hmm. Then they side with Maul. Then Maul gets the dark saber. He does the thing. He does the thing that the tradition says he can do. Mm-hmm. But then she's like, "Nah, I'm not working for you, Maul. Yeah. I'm out. I'm going to go to the Republic, help with Ahsoka." Then you know, then she fights the Empire when Sabine gives her the dark saber. And mm-hmm. He's like, "Okay, you can take the dark saber." Yeah. And then obviously Mando gets nuked, and now we're here. So it's like mm-hmm. she's she's like it's like she does love the planet. I do think she loves Mandalore, but you know she's got like this very pragmatic kind of like I'm gonna do what I gotta think I gotta yeah. do here. And compared to like the Children of the Watch, or like we love Mandalore, and we're gonna follow every ancient rule, even if it contradicts the stuff that the other stuff says. Right. Yeah. Sense, but we're gonna do it anyway. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's another good point is, is well, first of all, with, with Bo-Katan and where she, yeah, great summary of where she is now, the failure, her failure to actually restore, regain her position and her family's position <laughs> and her people's position. Yeah, she does love her people, the children of the watch. Yeah, I mean, that's that's another finally thing we've said, said last week, uh, the last few weeks. I really hope they explore the actual ancient Mandalore traditions. I hope we get some Tarvizla something more. Um, and maybe that'll connect with why the Children of the Watch, you know, Previsla, Death Watch, Children of the Watch. That's not a coincidence. That's not a spoiler. Um, you know, that's <laughs> about as obvious to me as, uh, you know, the, the the path of the open hand in denial, for example. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I, I'm looking forward to and hoping we get more about why the Children of the Watch uh are are rooted in these ancient beliefs that don't really make sense in the galaxy as it is but yeah like you said i mean the the whole the crisis the, Man- the mandalorian crisis people clamping down and following strict rules just to provide some sense of belonging and meaning you know that's that's definitely there okay we got another show i'm <laughs> gonna move on uh bad batch uh clone wars clone force 99 clone wars season nine now clone season eight season nine clone force 99 uh no this was definitely more of a uh 
Oh, I guess there was some kind of Clone Wars. Yeah, definitely was Clone Wars season nine. Now that I think about it, the plot line from Clone Wars that finally came back. Yeah, season two years yes. later. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Bad Batch season two, episode eleven, Metamorphosis. Uh, Joel, take it away. Yeah, Godzilla Beach is back. Godzilla. Uh, That's the thing yes. we're cheering about about giant creatures who one of which can fly through hyperspace anyway you're on. <laughs> i know it's very fun um but yes and we're back fine and after a lot of waiting around we, we're, we're finally doing it we're on the mount tantus uh yes. plot point from the end of season one and they say mount tantus they they don't allude to it it is said it is spoken say mount tantus or just the planet tantus good question i think yeah. well they say tantus this is a tantus and Sorry, it's in the, why not yeah and it's in a mountain so you know um, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> we get a new villain, Dr. Hemlock. Um, very interesting villain. I think he's our new baddie since Rampar is now gone. Um, so that's really cool. I like him. He's creepy. He got that kind of quiet calmness, which is really scary, but it's also kind of cool. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, we get to see Nala say again, you know, there's, there's some dark science cloning machinations going on, whatever the emperor wants. Whether or not it's directly to the Emperor plans to clone himself or some other mm-hmm. project like creating super soldiers or something or mix of both, who knows at the moment. Um, Alama Sue's alive. I knew it. I don't think I was around when we did this podcast, but I had a feeling he was alive mm-hmm. because they didn't show a body when they uh, were taking him in. That's the Star Wars rule. If you don't have a body, Mace Windu is probably still alive. Come on. <laughs> Or if, yeah, or if, and, and exploding, you can kind of come back from exploding. That's true. <laughs> hey, worked for ID, ID eleven. He exploded. Well, I they, right, so. <laughs> actually, if you rewatch that moment when he explodes, there's a good chunk of him that doesn't come back. So yeah, fair enough. Um, but uh, yeah, so he's alive. Um, and um, Omega is now in danger again. So yes, looks like the Empire is once again on the hunt for the Bad Batch. Um, and it's not looking good. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and we see some Republic commandos, but uh, pretty Imperial fun. Commandos, Joel. Imperial, Imperial commandos. commandos. <laughs> right, Imperial commandos. Um, a, a similarity without a difference. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, but yeah, this was a fun episode. And you know, I I'll, I'm I'm still fifty fifty on whether or not they'll directly address. You know, is he going to say our plan is to clone the emperor mm-hmm. or not? I mean, it could happen. And if it does happen, that'd be epic. But I like it because regardless of whether or not it's directly said, um, you know, it's it's all about kind of showing the escalation of like, okay, the Empire was doing some evil cloning machinations even from day one. By the time you get to Ride of Skywalker, here's sort of the ultimate version yeah. of just messing with nature. So right. um, it, it's that thematic synergy that I quite enjoy, even if it's not direct synergy. But who knows? I hope it's direct synergy too because yeah. I want to hear some Exegol goodie. It, it's pretty close to direct like you say you know she's not they're not going to come out and say it i don't think but mm-hmm. yeah i know what palpatine hopes to achieve that that line right there clearly like, he hopes to achieve immortality i mean she, i think she she's get. i think that's what donald is getting at um i want to talk about sid can you talk about sid for a minute i'm sure like what on earth can you remember can you remember a a mission this season at least that Sid has sent the gang on that's actually been successful? Because I... Is, can you think of one? Can you think of one? 
I mean, maybe there's yeah. ones that are off screen. They've all gone south. Every single one. I, I, I can't help but wonder, is she like the the thing with the race car, um, the race car episode? You know, okay, I thought she, there were going to be like this confrontation where she's going to have to choose one day whether or not to screw them. I wonder if she's been screwing them the whole time. I wonder if she's the big bad of this season. I know that's a hot take, but I, I can see it happen. I can see them something coming around just because this can't be a coincidence. It's every single time, <laughs> you know, it's um, I'm trying to think. Wouldn't it, that be something? Yeah. I mean, yeah. They're, they're is not in their good graces and the, the chickens are coming home to roost. At this yeah. Day. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. So, you know, you guys heard it here first, 8.24 p.m. on Monday, whatever day this is, uh, March 6th, <laughs> p.m. Eastern time. Sid is the big villain of Bad Batch Season 2. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna clip that. I'm going to see if, if I'm right. If not, it'll be a cold take, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's frustrating, but I will say I, I'm enjoying this season. I'm really, you know, it, it's a fun, interesting, intricate ride. This, ep- mm-hmm. this episode, yeah, like you said, they finally picked up on the storyline that <laughs> the Zillowby storyline that has been just hanging out. Zillowby used to be hanging out in Coruscant for, what, 15 years? Oh, he's in the timeline. <laughs> it's been, what, maybe two, three years. But still, that's mm-hmm. a significant wreaking havoc on this the city planet. Anyway, um, yeah, really intriguing episode. Again, showing, uh, showing Omega and showing the gang taking leadership taking charge um and and you know sorting things out for themselves because sid clearly can't but also this is one of those episodes that works really well in going into the lore into the weird stuff going on with the empire on the large scale but still we still have our our point of view characters for it so i i'm happy about that um yeah Mm -hmm. i i i I know people have had complaints about this season i don't i think it's been fine i think it's been good I'm I've enjoyed being... the second half a lot more. Yeah. I'll say that. Um, I do want them to get back to uh, what's going on with Cody. Maybe see if Rex and uh, yeah, Rex and Echo are in on that. Um, yeah, we'll we'll see. <laughs> uh, Ian, what what happens there? How many how many episodes are left in the season? There's got to be one. one uh, okay, 12, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 5. Five episodes, okay, and then and fifteen and sixteen are on the same night, I think, is right. Yeah. So there's four weeks left. So four weeks of overlap between Mandalorian and Bad Batch. That'll be right. That'll be fine. Um, you know, we we what we're gonna do here at Iron Cannon is then is just to make sure uh, our main topic is is we don't, we don't not having too much that's inappropriate term too much fat in between different things, but. Um, yeah, well, I guess there isn't too much to say about for me to say about this the episode. I don't know if you have any more to say about uh, either Eyes on Screen or, Man- or Bad Batch or Mandalorian. Nope, I've been good. Just watch right. if you want my more in depth up, go watch Doc Holocron's channel for me at yes. least. That's fair. Uh, just want to mention a few news items. Um, like you gotta even, I didn't even make uh, banners for them. Um, just a few news items that we're gonna get to next week. Uh, yes, there's another Cataclysm excerpt uh, that uh, came out, and so there's two Cataclysm excerpts. I know I talked about it briefly last week, the earlier, the other one. Um, so we'll we can get into both of those. Uh, I guess because I mean that novel comes out in April, I believe. Um, 
Also, uh, one little thing to note: there, there is Star Wars: Dawn of the Rebellion visual guide that came out, that is announced. That's coming out November seventh. Uh, we'll talk about that. Kind of looking, can is it Kenobi and Endor visual guide, basically? But uh, interesting branding there. Also, Jedi Battle Scars does come out tomorrow. Um, I don't know if my copy will come in. I ordered, I ordered to to ship, and from indigo which is the canadian version of, of barnes and noble their website got hacked <laughs> this is a multi-million dollar i don't know how much their budget is company so this is a major corporation for canadian standards um and they got hacked their website got hacked so i don't know if i'm going to get that book in in time i might actually buy myself another copy or get it from the library or something because we do want to dive into it and do want to to review it timely uh joel you gonna gonna get in on that you're gonna get do the audiobook or yeah i'm gonna get the audiobook okay so yeah so that comes out tomorrow uh by toronto sam mag so keep your eyes peeled i know i know hannah's keen as she'd say to get it on that too so hopefully uh yeah be able, she'll be able to come around and chat chat about cal and seer and and all those fine folks on the on that ship there um okay anyway Main topic. <laughs> How's it going, Joel? <laughs> yes, my turn. Go for it. Always two there are. No, no, they're not Sith. They're Jedi. Whatever. Or are they? I don't know. Okay, okay. So, um, <laughs> you never know. Th- this is this is an interesting topic. <laughs> um, you know, Lucas and Filoni. You know, Master Apprentice. Where's the Claudia Gray book? Where's my Claudia Gray? Back um, somewhere. I have it back. So, um. This this topic came thanks to our our friend Omar, um, who was talking. We were talking about um the mm-hmm. Jedi Order at the time, and like there's actually a bit of a difference between whether or not you think the prequels are, are supposed to be a critique on the Jedi Order or not. And he led me to uh, a Tumblr blog, um, by the name of David Talk Star Wars. Who uh, maybe if you're listening out there, uh, we we've been contact contacted him on Tumblr, and he you know gave me permission to use his blog for um the notes and stuff, um. We're not going to do a full-on breakdown of what the blog says. I think we just want to let the conversation flow naturally. But um, there's a lot of interesting stuff. I like, you know, when it comes to this particular topic of, you know, mm-hmm. the Jedi. Oh, there he is. Hey. 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 Thank, thank you. You're, for you're doing the forces work there. <laughs> I'll say that. Yeah, that comes the blog. Great. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you know, whether or not, you know, how, how, how different or similar are mm-hmm. Filoni and Favreau's visions of star wars um you know and there's and obviously i think for the most part they do get the plot right you know like here's um here's a george says um you know about you know like what it feels like to you know work with filoni stuff like that it says he's talking about how it feels to give someone the range says it feels great great to have worked with somebody i worked with Dave for like 10 years you know and <laughs> i was making his life miserable for the whole time and finally you know making everyone's else life miserable i think i've done a good job <laughs> Um, I love that. Applause, applause for the impression. <laughs> I know, you know, and uh, here's another thing. You know, George goes like, on top of that, I think Dave knows more about Star Wars than I do. He can quickly reference things from the media, from other media, like the Star Wars books and comics and the video games, <laughs> which are based on what I create. But I don't actually get involved with too deeply. Dave loves them, and his knowledge gives us a better picture of the entire universe. Mm. So you know, there are um. There yeah. are, you know, the, you know, Filoni is definitely George's Padawan and even excels in some places because, you know, well, George is like, the books, I don't know. Here, Darth Talon, 
Make them kiss. Mini chlorians. Mini chlorians. Make them kiss, I say. Um, <laughs> I love my George impression. I'm having, okay. I'm having too much fun. Um, you know. I mean, if I could uh, jump in with a bit of a setup there. I mean, the reason this conversation is is important to have and relevant is, you know, let's face it. Uh, yeah, I said at the top, George Lucas, he made the sandbox, gave us the world. Star Wars would not be what it is today without Dave Filoni. His influence on it is just about as marked and as important as George Lucas's. I mean, not in the same way necessarily, but he's added so much. He's pushed so much. I mean, he's the continuity. He's still there involved making sure, making sure live action, making sure animation. This is, this is a George Lucas uh, inheritance. Make sure animation does not play second fiddle to live action at all. Um, that you know that the fact that there is still a strict continuity, I'd say, a, a discipline of continuity between animation and live action, making for a whole screen canon. I mean, like you just said, everything with Bo-Katan and her story—that is the canon story that she's reflecting on. That is her life that she's reflecting on in, in Kalevala. That's the story, ultimately, really, that Dave Filoni told, and. Yeah, so his influence has been uh, more than anyone else, other than George Lucas. I mean, I think we can say at least more recently. I mean, yeah, okay. There's you know those ones, Kazden. There's Marshall Lucas. There's Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill, and all the stars and Carrie Fisher behind the scenes. But yeah, I, at least in the last, let's say, fifteen years, I think that's fair to in say. Two thousand eight, then yeah, yeah. Um, fifteen years. That's so it's um, fair to say. Is that most of the stories that always come out of Clone Wars anyway continue on? So yeah, um, yeah. but yeah, no, you're you're right. Um, but you know, like everybody, even the the closest of minds, they gotta differ on something. No, mm-hmm. not everyone thinks a hundred percent the same way. They're not clones, and even though, and even heck, in Clone Wars, we learn even clones can think differently from each clone. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we want to talk about some of the differences, and especially the biggest difference, obviously, um, how the Jedi Order is viewed. Because mm-hmm. as we talked about before, you know, um, one of the biggest kind of uh, online discourse things you've, been se- you've seen since the prequels, quite frankly, yeah. um, is, you know, was the prequels a Jedi, a critique on the Jedi Order or not? Um, and the Tumblr blog, David Talk Star Wars, you know, would argue that, uh, for the most part, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, uh, George Lucas would say no, and Filoni would be a little bit more towards the yes uh, right. side of it so let me see here let me see so you know let's let's get 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 started mm-hmm. um so let's see here i want to just look at some of the interviews i have with me um you know uh one of the biggest things a lot about you know uh the jedi order is that you get you kind of get two kind of sides either mm-hmm. anakin brought his own downfall yeah or the jedi you know or kind of more responsible for his downfall um, than most. Um, you know, George goes on about a bunch of stuff, like here's in from the making of Revenge of the Sith in 2003. Um, American wants to be a Jedi, but he cannot let go of you the You don't have to keep loves. up with the accent. Okay. Just put <laughs> move forward in his life. The Jedi believes that you don't have to hold on to things, that you let things pass through you. And if you control your greed, mm-hmm. you can resolve conflict, and not only in yourself, but in the world around you, because... You accept the natural course of things. And Keaton's ability to follow this basic guideline is at the core his turn to the dark side. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, another interview from Sci-Fi Online in 05. When you start to care about yourself and things that you own and the things you have and you're greedy and you want things mm -hmm. all the time, you don't want to give them up because you're afraid to give them up. You turn to the dark side, and that's what happened to mm -hmm. Anakin. Um, let's see. Here's some, uh, here's some Filoni quotes. Um, let's see. Let's see. Here's let's see. Uh, let me see. Here's there we go. Here's Filoni's on the right, like, right hand side. Um, Dave Filoni goes. It's about letting go. You can love something or someone, but mm -hmm. you have to find the power, the strength to let go. Being let go and let them have their life, believe in, believe that they in turn care about that. You don't let loving someone turn into controlling someone turn into what you know. Anakin did that to a degree, to a very large degree, and in the end, was his downfall when you, and the end it was his downfall when you think about it. Um, mm -hmm. Another thing is from the Obi Wan undercover video commentary. Uh, the biggest area of the Force and the Jedi, this is Filoni again, mm -hmm. that George and I have gotten discussing the whole deal with attachments, and arguably, that what Anakin's whole life is hinged on, is mm -hmm. this. Like you've mentioned, he has a lot of attachments to R2, and how right or wrong is that? Is, that the, it, is it that the Jedi have made themselves dispassionate, that they are actually deceived by the Sis and they fall apart? Uh, mm. Let's see. And here we go. Here's another one. Here's a good one. Um, I've always felt that one of Anakin's downfalls, like it's never Anakin was innately going to be evil, but the people around him, the Jedi, in their mm. lack of compassion and being selfless, that they almost forgot to care. Mm. Um, so if you kind of read that, yeah. you know, well, Filoni kind of looking at it a bit more, the circumstances of which Anakin kind of lived under, the, under the Jedi care. Um, he goes along a lot about like, you know, if Qui-Gon had lived, Anakin wouldn't have felt the dark side. He's big on that one. Yeah. Um, George is a lot more. Nah, Anakin was just greedy. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter what Jedi did. Like Anakin did. The, Anakin did the stuff. He did the. Uh, he 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 didn't want to let go because he was being selfish. Like it's his fault, man. He brought this on yourself, dude. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I just want to jump in there. You know, it, where my mind goes straight to is what are the stories they're primarily known for telling in this? You know, um, Lucas is primarily told the films, the three films. Filoni, of course, primarily told the, the Clone Wars series. In the three films, uh, you know, the, it's this tragedy of Anakin Skywalker falling to the dark side, and this whole third act of Revenge of the Sith devoted to Order 66 and the rise of the Empire. And uh, includes, you know, of course, the going back to episode two, the 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 uh, the Sand People scene, the Tuscan scene, um, that that loss and that rage and that possessiveness of Padme that you know, kind of can be cringy in episode two, but um, you know by episode three you see okay there's th this is this has turned him into a, a, a shell of himself a little bit, uh, not a, little, a lot of it, ultimately literally a shell, <laughs> um, yeah. and so that's the story part of the story that uh, George Lucas tells, whereas Filoni he tells the story of. Uh, so it, it, you know, if George Lucas tells the story of the shell of himself, his former self, Filoni tells the story of his former self, of Anakin, the hero, of Anakin, the mentor to Ahsoka, who is the most profound and moving character in the whole series. Of course, I think we generally agree. Um, you know, the story Filoni tells is how Ahsoka gets betrayed by the Jedi Order, by the people who should have defended her most. Leaving her to leave the order 
entirely, which of course then is the cascade reaction that in Anakin's mind that says, okay, this order is corrupt and whatnot. Filoni tells the story of the Clone Wars, of this war that the Jedi got into um, because Palpatine duped them into it because they were re ready and willing to go for it themselves. And, and of course, also the, the complications and machinations and leading of, to the, you know, the, in the Martez sisters arc, which of course flashes back to the zero arc all the way back then. Uh, yeah. Uh, of the Jedi just giving a pat answer to suffering. Now, in the story Dave Filoni or George Lucas tells, yes, Yoda gives Anakin a pat answer to suffering and detachment, but we also see the story of Obi-Wan Kenobi. We see the story of Qui-Gon Jinn. We see these more ideal Jedi, or in, in Obi-Wan's case, a Jedi who's more able to navigate the ambiguities and complexities of existence, of reality, of this impossible situation, and to hold on to a deep and abiding love and connection, attachment to Anakin, um, you know, where we have in our mind with the films more so, I think, than with Clone Wars, uh, Luke's learning of, of this great Jedi Order of the past that, yeah, again, it, it isn't as in mind, I think. You know, the, it's odd. The original trilogy just isn't as in mind when I'm watching Clone Wars. It's uh, it's not another thing, but there are, you know, there are, and there are always references and whatnot, but um the the films are more connected with each other in that way so yeah it, it tracks that that difference tracks it's in continuity with itself of course you know i mean oh yeah you know feloni would never do anything that goes against it but it does have a shade it it, it emphasize brings an emphasis about why yeah why luke or why anakin fell to the dark side it helps informs how we watch these films and you know look I'll, I'll i'll put my cards on the table i on this question i'm clearly more on george lucas's side in that not to say that the jedi were all brilliant and wonderful knights in gilded armor that's another book series that i adore of course but also but that it, it was more complicated ambiguous and they did what they could in that impossible situation that was above and beyond themselves, which is something also that uh, I'll let you get into with when the Republic falls. But um, well, actually, yeah. that's a good segue to the yeah. next. Yeah, so I was, I was hoping you'd take up on that. <laughs> yeah. um, so, okay, so George Lucas talks about the Jedi involvement in the Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. It's a couple of good interviews. Um, I'm just reading up quotes, but I'm, yeah. I'm having fun. Um, yeah. So here's George with George, a couple of things George had to say about the the. Jedi, get the Jedi entering the Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. Having already been granted emergency powers in the face of growing threat, Chancellor Palpatine used its iron-clad grip on the Senate to seize even greater authority, all in the name of security, to address the urgent military of the Republic. Here's the highlighted part. He enlisted the Jedi Knights as general to command the clone army. The Jedi valiantly accepted their assignment, though they never served as military commanders. They were unaccustomed to the wages of war. Mm. Their ranks weren't sufficient to serve as the guardians of peace and justice. Their spread precariously standing to face the unthinkable challenges. Their relation with Palpatine grew strained. Um, here's, here's some interesting part about what some of the order says. So the Jedi, this, they don't attack. Question, is this what George Lucas saying, or is this Filoni? This is George Lucas. Okay, this is what Lucas says. Okay, Here's another, this is another Lucas quote. Um, the Jedi, they don't attack. They only defend. Yoda didn't attack until the fifth film. 
there's a conundrum ultimately. Um, it's been there forever, which is, are you going to just sit there and let them kill you or your loved ones or destroy the world that you know, or are you going to have to try and fix it? At some point, you do have to stand up what you mm. believe in. Obviously, I think you can make my religion be whatever I want it to be. It doesn't have to be consistent. If a cobra is going to strike you, I think you have every right to pick up a stick there and hit it him over the head because it's either him or you. Of course, this is the mythology of a cowboy. They always put him in these crises where you have to choose between your own personal values and the practicality of what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And here's the highlighted part from George. You've got to pick up the sheriff badge even though you had all three problems in the past. You're going to have to go out and kill people again, even though you said you'd never do you. Um, let's see. Uh, as the sit- let's see. So here's something George says. Um, do you think that... Um, I don't know what he's asking. Do you think that? I must have not missed it. Um, here's something George says. It's a tough call. It's one of the conundrums which... This is George again. Yeah. Um, it's one of the conundrums which there are a bunch in, a, in my movies. You have to think it through. Are you going to stick with their moral rules and all be killed, which makes it irrelevant, or do they help save the Republic? Mm-hmm. They have good intentions, but they have been manipulated, which was their downfall. Now, that's George. Mm-hmm. Here's what Filoni has to say. Um, one of the interesting complexities that we were beginning to explore in the Clone Wars is really the Jedi's role in the war. One of the ways which we were able to get the point of view on that is by having a group of people that were pacifists. They that want no part of the war. We should we show these different points of view that kind of compromise the Jedi or show them in a way that we're not familiar with. I thought the Lerman was a really good way to start introducing the theme, and it really puts Aelith Sakura on the spot. It really puts Ahsoka on the spot. They think they're fighting on the side of good, and here they have meet here they have meet a character and they're confronted by the idea of, the, of that. Well, maybe you're not. Hmm. Um, here's another one from Dave. A Jedi uses the Force for knowledge and defense, never attack. Well, the Clone Wars era Jedi don't seem to think that. Maybe that a long-lost government principle, but they're certainly not behaving that way in the Clone Wars. Um, let's see, another good one. There we go. At the end of The Phantom Menace, this is from Baloney, during the Clone Wars, uh, he was bent on revenge, Maul. Uh, Maul is bent on destruction. Mm-hmm. He's bent on gaining power. Obi-Wan has given these things up. He's giving up all the ambitions that came from the Jedi Order of old. Obi-Wan's trying to walk a more selfless path now. So, as we see kind of from the differences yeah. here, you have Lucas pretty much is saying um, that uh, uh, the con- that it's a conundrum for the Jedi. It's like, well, what are you going to do? You know, it's sort of like, you know, what, you're going to get killed? You kind of have to be practical about these things regardless. Yeah. By Filoni pretty much saying, no, you joined the war, you gave up. Um, uh, let's see. I mean, I just want to jump in there. You know, it's even in the way they talk about it, it's very much Plato and Aristotle. I just, I'm just visioning you the the classic um, the symposium. George and Filonian togas. Yeah, you know. So you have Plato saying the Jedi are the Jedi are compassionate. The Jedi never attack. This is just the Jedi. This is what it is to be a Jedi. It's what it is. And then Filoni is, is diving in and saying concretely these are what this is what the story is is what actually happens the i the actual forms in the real world whereas in the real galaxy yeah i mean it, it is the classic uh ideal versus ideal form versus um i don't know i forget what aristotle how he uses it but 
the 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 substance the actual uh concreteness of what actually happens and it's almost like deductive versus inductive so deductive here i'm using more i should just pull this thing out here philosophy time philosophy time <laughs> Um, George is being deductive in his storytelling. He says, this is, again, what the Jedi are, what it means to be a Jedi. And so I'm going to write this story in a way of reflecting it. Because what he's really doing, and this is where they agree, I would say, and, and, and or, or I know things get kind of fudgy with, with Mortis, but... They where they agree fundamentally is what light and dark are, and what selflessness and selfishness are, and uh, you, you don't want to be giving into selfishness. Yes, self care is one thing, but that's not selfish. That's self care. <laughs> that can be to the good for the good of all. Um, George is is focusing more on okay, what does it mean to be a servant of the light? The Ahsoka story is about that, but for Filoni, it, it's more for for Dave. It's more uh, this is where the Jedi fell uh, so far from being a servant to the light. So just even their 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 philosophical approaches to this, I'm noticing, yeah, in the way they talk. Yeah, and you know, you, you mentioned uh, I'm, I'm I don't know if I'm pushing back or not. I can't tell at this point, but you know, sure. you mentioned like you know, Filoni's telling the story of the Clone Wars now it's detached from. Mm-hmm. Um, the original trilogy. I totally get what you're saying there. Well, um, to my point, Luke has a very idealized vision of what the Jedi were, because I mean, all he has is this hope for a future restoration that's rooted in this past. Whereas the uh, the Filoni in the Clone Wars, Ahsoka as and Anakin are encountering what the Jedi were. Oh, <laughs> well, actually, that's actually a good segue. So I'll come back to that point for a second. Um, because we'll actually skip around. Um, this is actually his first point in the blog mm-hmm. on confronting Vader. So this, this is what. So this is what Lucas has to say. This is actually not a lot of interviews here. So I'll just go into what Lucas said. This is about Lucas. A film called Empire Strikes Back, which came out in 1980. It is canon and has an. I Return of the Jedi. Or Return of the Jedi. I don't know why I thought. Uh, yeah, both. Whatever. Go to Bespin. Go to Dagobah. Whatever. Not good no, this was actually. Well, this I'm was actually, all mixed up. It's Return of the Jedi. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, this is exactly about Return of the Jedi. So uh, yeah. this was from Making Return of the Jedi, 1981. Yeah. Uh, Lucas says a Jedi can't kill for the sake of killing. The mission isn't for Luke to go out and kill his father and get rid of him. The issue is if he confronts his father again, he may, in defending himself, have to kill him because his father will try to kill him. This is the state of affairs that Yoda should refer to. Yoda should refer to. And then Luke says. I don't think he can kill me because he could have killed me the last time, and he didn't. I think there's good in him, and I can't kill him. Um, and here's another um, little from Paul Duncan's Obi-Wan No More Than Let On. Mm. Um, this is an interview. So Paul Duncan's saying Obi-Wan let more than he let on. And Lucas responds, he knows that eventually Darth Vader's going to come looking for him. He knows this whole thing is going to blow up into a big war. He knows a confrontation is brewing between Luke and his father. Obi-Wan says Ben in the interview. Uh, ben hopes Luke will either save his father or kill him because whatever extra power Luke's got in his lineage, he is the one person that can probably fight his father and win. Mm. So that's Lucas. Here's what Filoni thinks. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think there's a... There's, so here's the question for Filoni. Uh, do you think that there's any good in Dooku at this point? So they're talking about Dooku, but this leads to Vader. Right. Uh, you know what's interesting about that? And again, this is just for debatable. I always feel awkward because I... 
I just want to talk Star Wars with you guys. Um, <laughs> right, and I feel like people are going to put a lot of stock into the answers I give you sometimes. I just like to speculate and as much as the next person I have. Bonus there you can do the, the Filoni voice. <laughs> oh, I just or, like to speculate. I love speculate. <laughs> I have bonus in that. I can go to George and he can KO my answer really quickly. Um, but but if you think about it, and again, this is just me talking with you, um, Obi-Wan and Yoda don't seem very confident there's going to be good left Anakin in the old movies, which is the which is always interesting because they always they never really tell Luke, go save your father. No, it's go kill him. This is the questionnaire. Now, Filoni mm-hmm. again. You have to destroy your father. Like, that's what you got to do. Now, whether they're just... Now, whether they just think that they, can, they can't tell Luke because that's what he's got to do, he's got to discover that on his own, or whether they think the whole key to the, still destroying the Emperor and destroying Vader... I don't know. I don't have that answer. I always wondered how much they think it's possible to bring someone back because of the classic film. They don't show a lot of interest in that. They don't show Luke what you need to go to Darth Vader and give him compassion speech to bring him back to the good side. They're pretty resolute. Kids are our last chance to bump Bob Vader, right? Um, and uh, let's see, and um, just to be fair, in date defense, and, and blogger says this in date defense, he admits he didn't talk to George about it in the interview, but mm. you kind of get an idea of what Dave thinks before talking to mm. George. So, you know, what are your kind of response to that? My initial thought is, okay, what does Deborah Chow think then? Because the story she tells is of Obi Wan leaving Anakin behind and saying he's done, and now the hope is on Luke and Leia. Uh, you know, that one, I, yeah, it's, it's, again, it gets at the, the same distinction. You know, George has this vision of what the Jedi are about and what they're meant to be that Luke then goes and, and actually embodies it, lives it out. He actually does show that compassion, that selflessness, that you know, form of attachment to, and, and tugs on the attachment I mean, I've said this multiple times, tugs on the attachment to Padme, and I don't know how much George thought about that at the time, but clearly, you know, he's making the prequels and he's saying, okay, this is the tug. Um, Filoni's, I think they're just asking two different questions, really. You know, Filoni's saying, okay, what would Yoda and Obi-Wan as Jedi who have failed and have... um, they have had to move on from Anakin and, and, and from the past and are looking towards the future. I don't quite know. I mean, I, I think I, I like to think about Yoda on Dagobah really reflecting deeply on the failure of the past and that one of those failures was giving up on Anakin and giving up on the, I mean, especially giving up on the, um, well, in the sense of, of if, if Dave is right about, Yoda in Revenge of the Sith on the pillows being part of what forces Anakin into the dark side, pushes him into the dark side. I, I like to think that's one of the failures that Yoda reflects on in Dagobah that then says, he can then say to Luke, greatest teacher failure is we didn't actually give this kid a chance to, to be a kid. This Anakin guy, sky guy, be, to be a kid, to be, this dashing heroic figure who can think outside the box and, and explore, you know, kind of, this is getting me all the way back now, getting me thinking about the type of, of creative freedom that Jedi and the higher Republic, Padawans in the higher Republic are given. 
they lose that freedom and they lose that creativity uh, in the name of defending and hunkering down and preserving what they've got in the face of these threats. And yeah, it, you know, I, I guess I can kind of see where Dave is coming from there. Um, it's interesting how in that case, he's been the more, if he, if I'm hearing him correctly and seeing what I'm saying is that Yoda and Obi-Wan are still stuck in the whole, uh, we've, we've got to off him. Maybe, maybe they are a little bit just thinking about the dialogue there. Luke, don't go, you know, he's too powerful or, or, you know, not yet. You're not ready to face him. You must confront Vader, that whole line. Um, and, and Yoda almost being disappointed that Luke isn't willing to kill him. Um, that could also be a commentary on people who are from the past being stuck in the past and not willing, not being as able to grow as they, we hope they will. Um, of course, you know, I'm getting older. I'm getting into that category do a little bit. Um, but yeah, the, it, it, it's again, it's tricky because it gets at, you know, what, you know, can people change? Can people grow? Can people reflect on failure as much or as not? I mean, I think George Lucas, his whole point is yes, people can. I think Filoni too, he would agree with that. But um, it's a fascinating way of talking about it. The one last thing I want to say then is, it's really interesting that uh, the the that Filoni here leads in gets to this starting with Dooku, and that's maybe the biggest difference, especially with uh, Dooku: A Jedi Lost, with Kevin Scott's audio play, and of course, Tales of the Jedi. Is Dooku becomes a lens on what the Jedi are, and another difference, of course, in Attack of the Clones is Dooku is purely mustache twirling clearly in it to, for the nice uh the the exquisite pajamas <laughs> um you know le leading this this faction that he's in he's clearly a sith lord right um mm -hmm. he, he's he's in it for himself he's in it for his own gain you know uh even in the clone wars as early you know the um the mina bonteri arc how mm -hmm. she looks up to him because he's actually calling for uh for freedom and a rooting out of corruption in the galaxy. And then we look back, we see tales of the Jedi and we see, Oh, he has this strong moral core against the Jedi corruption. Clearly the Jedi have all this corruption for Dooku to react against. <laughs> it's just that Palpatine is able to, to twist that in the wrong direction. So the road, the road to, to, to Malachor was paved with some good intentions there, but <laughs> that's the story Filoni tells us. So, when we talk a lot about Jedi, let's go to the big thing that, you know, always gets a little contentious with people on the internet, and that is, are the Jedi compassionate in the prequels? Mm -hmm. This is what George has to say. So someone asked him, what is the idea of the Jedi based on compassion or love or uh, dot, dot, dot. This is George. Um, George goes, yeah, it's based on compassion. And the Jedi's basic job in the beginning, which we never get to see too much of because we start really during the war... They were like marshals of the old west, and they go and they would go from town to town, and they would help solve the problems. And in a lot of cases, the marshals and the judges were pretty much the same thing, and they would just travel, and they would bring justice and solve problems for people, which is kind of what the Jedi are. And they are negotiators; they're not fighters, only negotiators, mm. sort of like the mafia. Uh, laughters from the students. They were compassionate negotiators with big laser swords, <laughs> which they don't like to use, but 
when somebody you know doesn't want to solve the problem, then they'll solve it for them, so to speak. Yeah. Then from the incentive for the people to solve the problem without fighting. Um, that was ba- the basic premise of Star Wars and the Jedi and how it works. That they were taken at a young age to be trained. They cannot get themselves killed trying to save the, their best buddy when it's a hopeless exercise. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Duncan, who was the interview, and say, it sounds like a very lonely thing. Um, George responds, not if you're not afraid. A Jedi is never lonely. They live on compassion. They live on helping people, and the people love them. They can love people back, but then when the person dies, they let go. Those that cannot let become miserable, let mm-hmm. go become miserable. That's the lonely place to be. Um, and here she's talking to John Stewart about, you know, why was there any reason the Jedi couldn't get married? What was the emotion of it? The idea that they're loving someone. Uh, big one, the marriage question. Yeah. Um, this is George. George is the point. Um, the whole idea of the movie ultimately is that you have to you have the light side and got the dark side. Two sides every sports. Uh, the light side is compassion, which <laughs> means you care about the Sorry. other people. The dark side, when you can only get about yourself and you're obsessed with yourself. Mm-hmm. Getting your pleasure and getting your all your stuff. Stuff. Um, the other one, you give it to everybody. You give goodness and health to everybody else. So the issue of love, here's the highlighted part, of uh, love, there's a line between loving somebody compassionately and caring about them and helping them. But the other line is not to be greedy. Or once you are greedy, mm-hmm. then you get fearful. You don't want to lose what is... You don't want, uh, you don't want to lose what is you have w- that you're getting. So you have to learn to give up everything. And ultimately for a Jedi Knight, it's very easy to give up. Um, mm-hmm. Sorry, when you talk a lot. Um, I talk a lot. <laughs> uh, no, it's me. Um, one of the things that they give up is marriage. They can mm. still love people, but they can't possess them. They can't own them. They can't demand that they do things. They have to be able to accept the fact, one, their mortal- mortality, that they are going to die and not to worry about it. That they loved ones, that their loved ones, they have everything they love is going to die, and they can't do anything about it. I mean, they can protect them as you would ordinarily protect, you know, get out of the way out of that car. Somebody charges you with a gun, <laughs> you knock the gun out there, but there's inevitably life, which is the death, and you have to accept that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, let's see, then he talked a little bit more about stuff. And then John Stewart said, in that way, Ben dies. I think he talked about Obi-Wan. It's Star Wars. They reframe belief and trust in the Force. Um, mm-hmm. And here's uh, George again, the core of Anakin's problem is that the Jedi are raised from birth so that they learn to let go and of everything. They trained more than anything else to understand the transitional nature of life, that things are constantly changing and you can't hold on to anything. You mm-hmm. can love things, but you can't be attached to them. You must be willing to let the flow of life and the flow of the Force move through your life, move through you, so you can be compassionate and loving and caring, but you're not possessive and grabbing and holding on to the things and trying to keep the things they are. So that's George. <laughs> so here is Filoni. Um, the biggest area of the Force, this is Filoni talking now, uh, the biggest area of the Force and the Jedi that George and I have gotten into discussing is the whole idea of attachment. It's arguably, oh, I think I might have read some of this stuff. Yeah. I'll, I'll read it again. Uh, let me see. Um, here you can go. summarize. Just summarize. Here we go. 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 Okay. Here's, here he's talking about Luminara. Um, Luminara is detached. It's not that she doesn't care, but she's not attached to her emotionally. Mm. I think they're maybe talking about bears. And at the end of the day, mm-hmm. one thing that I guess I pose is, is that really a good thing? Is Anakin's way of being so compassionate wrong? 
But on a certain level, you have to accept that the Jedi lose the Clone Wars. So there's something that they're doing that's wrong. There's something they're doing that doesn't work, and the dark side is exploiting. If anything, it's Luke's overwhelming compassion and love for his father that the end overthrows the Emperor because it's something that he doesn't understand. So, as far back as Anakin, there is a seed of an idea of love and compassion, which admittedly in Attack of the Clones, Jedi say they're lack lacking because they've become arrogant and very sure of themselves. Um, and to me, when you look at the Jedi in the prequel era, the one Jedi that has the most right is, is most in the right is Qui-Gon. Because Qui-Gon understands that you can still love someone as long as you don't try to possess them, as long as you can't let them go. He is selfless. Ahsoka is on a selfless path. And because Qui-Gon taught Obi-Wan, taught Anakin, and taught her that teaching is in her, she gets the benefit of Anakin and Obi-Wan. Both of them teachers throughout the course of her life. And so she kind of nicely balanced the view of things, where a whole lot of Jedi, I don't think, have that. So Ahsoka tied to all that, but she's making her own decisions outside of those character arcs. If I have to look at the whole thing and piece together, bring the conclusion in the last 12 episodes. Um, so yeah, I guess that's kind of the best one. So um, that's kind of George and um, Filoni's view on compassion. And I feel like right. Dave kind of looks at the prequels and thinks... Okay, Jedi lose, therefore they do something wrong. Hmm. I think George doesn't see it as they lost because they did something wrong. I just thought, oh, they lost, and that's just kind of sad. <laughs> yeah, I, interesting to even talk about the Force judging the Jedi for uh, being so uncompassionate. I mean, that, that Filoni might actually see that to some extent. I don't know. I'm just, again, using using theological, biblical uh categories for that you know god judging the people um on the in in a, in a way that's actually affirming and life affirming and uh saying okay be more compassionate or we'll let you fall to the dark side kind of thing it, it, it's it's a good thing anyway my point being though is it doesn't seem like they disagree all that much in terms of what the ideal is what the what the point is it, it, i mean i do think about how yeah Qui-Gon still is celibate Ahsoka you know she she doesn't have to be celibate at this point but she still kind of is I mean I shipped her I shipped her with with uh was it Trace or Rafa one of the two I keep forgetting um you know but yeah the the you know the the idea of you know even even in the Mandalorian she's still kind of on her own flexible and free to be available where she needs to be available. And that's, especially in Rebels, what we see, right? Um, mm -hmm. She's flexible and free to be, yeah, to be, to join the, the, the ghost crew and to help Kanan and Ezra do their thing. Kanan, of course, chooses a different path. Um, yeah, it, it gets to the question of you know, the cause and the, the loss. And again, part of this relates to you know, it relates to why Anakin fell to the dark side. Everything you were saying about what George was saying about defending them, being the marshals. I mean, when you think of it that way, you've put the Jedi are the marshals who are sent to the outer rim to defend the vulnerable. Well, what if uh, vulnerable, what against you know against pirates and uh, you know other you know other other nefarious bad guys? What if the pirates are the separatists waging a full-scale galactic war? <laughs> you know, it, it does put that into an interesting perspective. That's in a way, it's their compassion, sense of responsibility for the galaxy that 
lead them into the Clone Wars. I hadn't fully, I just don't think of those in those terms, but when you think of it, yeah, in a way, it does make sense in that here's here's a big threat that could actually cause loss of life. Here's an army conveniently on our doorstep. Um, again, I think Lucas is saying, Lucas is pointing out, that's the thing. I don't know if they necessarily even disagree. They're just pointing at different aspects of of what's going on, right? Lucas is saying, um, yeah, the Jedi felt this responsibility to act and to join up. Floney is saying they never really questioned that and just dove in and said, are we actually the best people for this? You know, it goes back again to High Republic, uh, Tia Toon, Senator Tia Toon, and, and I think um, Kevin Scott writing in uh, The Rising Storm is intentionally getting us to think about the Clone Wars here. Uh, Tia Toon has, is a senator. Um, he seems, he's like the opposition to Lena So's whole, we gotta uh, get the Jedi on board and bring them in to actually kind of in a similar to Palpatine in, in, in a more, uh, in, a, in a good way, um, get them to more, co- more cooperation, more collaboration, including facing this Nile threat. The Drengar threat. Uh, Tia Toon says, "No, hold on. It's not that I dislike the Jedi. It's just that local systems and civilians need to actually know how to defend themselves too, and maybe are going to be more equipped to take on that those security roles and defense roles than these these all powerful space wizards, for example." So, yeah. Again, it, it is that a question of whether or not they disagree. Again, different emphases leading them to tell different kinds of stories for sure. Um, but ultimately, yeah, you, you see, you see with Ahsoka, at least on the, on the themes of attachment and detachment, uh, she, she's a confirmation, I think of what George Lucas is saying in a lot of ways and of what George Lucas said through, through Qui-Gon. Maybe I feel like though, George isn't putting up, I feel like George is just, if he was more expanding the Jedi, I feel like he doesn't think like, oh, the Jedi were mean to Anakin. Mace Windu the jerk. <laughs> um, I don't know if George sees it that way. No. I think I think they agree on compassion. I think mm. George, though, sees the Jedi even during the Clone Wars as compassionate. Well, I think Filoni thinks, no, they yeah. lost their way. So I think that is a bigger difference. Sure, yeah, there, there is that. that. That is what partly what I was getting at, but yeah. Um, also, you bring up Marshalls, and it's kind of funny. It's like, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that I was thinking of Mandalorians like Marshall Dune, mm-hmm. uh, you know, joined New Republic Special Forces. Yeah. Um, By the you way. know, <laughs> Dinjarin's a Marsh. You know, Greek Cargo is like, you know, here are non Jag people probably taking on the, some of the roles. You know, like yeah. whether they just send a Jag to Navarro, like, hey, Navarro, let's help out this Jedi, help out here. You know, three hundred years before they would have, like, there would have yeah. been a temple there, and and you know, Avar Chris is the Marshal of Starlight Beacon. She's the Cisco. Um, <laughs> so the, so well, the Jedi kind of like a like star, Starfleet, but with more wizards. If you kind of think yeah, about it, sure. <laughs> I guess. Um, I'll think about that. I'll get back to you. <laughs> I I don't know. That's kind of what Starfleet sometimes does. Is that they're seem even more militaristic. Sometimes it's like, hey, let's send the Starfleet peacekeeping force. Yeah. to this space station where the Cardassians mm. are gone, and now we yep. make it nicer and help Bajor Bajor out. The- I'm really curious as to why I'm bringing up High Republic in all this. Maybe because it's 
because Kevin Scott and Charles Soule and Claudia Gray and Shuna Ireland and Daniel Hosey Older, etc., George Mann have done such a great job of raising these issues again for us, just in a very different way. So yeah, it's getting me. Those are shout out to those guys to getting me think about these issues um, from I their think, angle. I think the biggest difference is they talk about how like this with the golden age of the Jedi. <laughs> I don't think George sees the prequels as a dark age of the Jedi. I really don't. I don't think George sees any difference between the higher public Jedi and his Jedi. It's like they were fine. Nothing really went wrong. They didn't really do anything differently than. I think that's kind of the ultimate difference. It's like oh. fancy the entire public era is like this golden age. I think George looks at it like they're just doing the same thing they've always been doing. Doesn't really that's change. Just, now there's just more joy. I mean, um, I mean that's the question that uh, that the the Project Luminous folks have really brought up is um, you know if this kind of separatist outer rim threat had happened 200 years before, 250 years before, whatever. Um, what would the Jedi have done? Mm-hmm. They end up doing. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing to flip it on set to flip it for. I think what Dave Filoni might say. They end up doing ultimately what, uh, in a way, what what mm-hmm. Filoni is accusing the Jedi of doing, of hunkering down and then lashing out. I mean, we don't know if in Phase Three that is what's going to happen, but the Nihil threat has to be ended somehow. There are, I mean, it's, it's well, it's a different sort of thing of the different factions of a more activist faction that wants the Jedi to go out and fight, and a more, can say, conservative, not in the, the way we understand the term, but more just passive faction that says, eh, let's not until we didn't. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like George's answer, just by reading what I've been reading, and anyone in the comments, feel free to challenge me i might be wrong yeah. um i think george's answer is well if the higher public jedi were faced with the exact same issue that yeah. the prequel era jedi uh face yeah. uh same outcome yeah doesn't matter there was no difference there was no that, difference between getting at, and Mace Windu. yeah it's interesting yeah that they, I think they're kind of going that direction yeah dave i think actually thinks like no big difference avar elzar and stellan yeah. they were better wait they were better jedi uh, soaking Qui Gon with a better Jedi. Yeah, uh, or I should say, it's interesting that they're also saying both, right? Because what they're saying is actually there was this more peaceable faction within the Jedi that before this big threat, that during this big threat, you know, it, it's the before, and then the prequels are the after, and then um, you know, Marky and Roe destroying Starlight Beacon is the spark. You know, 9-11 spark that causes the Jedi to retreat to the temple to become the type of order that will one day uh, for the Dave Filoni sense of join the Clone Wars and take up the Clone Wars because they're so fearful and so entrenched in, in uh, defending what they have now uh, thanks to Mark Monroe, thanks to, to this guy <laughs> so uh, yeah but at the same time you know maybe yeah, I, I guess, what I'm getting at is it, it can be more complex than just, you know, some Jedi will do one thing and some other Jedi will do another thing. Um, but these both of these, I guess what we're saying is a compassionate uh, attachment-focused reason to, uh, to step out and fight and defend and also a selfish detachment uh, – out of touch reason to step out and fight. 
um, you know, I mean, uh, my my inclination is to say there have been enough stories to tell us both. Some of them are George Lucas stories, some of them are Dave Filoni stories, but yeah. Um, maybe there just isn't an answer to resolve this. I don't know. Well, speaking of, let's talk mm. about their views on the state of the galaxy. And this time I'm going to go a little bit in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. um, so if, if, if what I'm reading in the interviews are true, and this is what David kind of summarizes and I'll read the interviews, you know, George is very much of the Republic dies when it officially dies. When Emperor Palpatine declares the Empire born and on that day, that's when it dies. It was mm -hmm. saleable up until that very moment when it's dead. Floney, I, from what at least he gathers from the interview, kind of takes more the Dooku Maul route of, oh no, the Republic can't be fixed. It's It's been fundamentally broken for a while. Time to start over. Burn it, burn it down. Well, maybe I'm, I'm being a little hyperbolic, but let's read those interviews and see. So let's see. Here's what Lucas says. What Lucas says. The Clone Wars raged for three long years in a bunch of episodes. <laughs> That's with me. Um, tearing the Republic apart and spawning countless tales of heroism, bravery, treachery, and betrayal. As do, as both sides fought to defend their ideals, as dedicated as the separatists were in their resolve to create a new order to replace the following fa failing republic, the Jedi were equally determined to preserve the republic and defeat the Sith, who they understood all too well were the masterminds of the separatist movement. They still believed in the republic, still deemed it a republic worth saving. The fates which gave them superhuman strength in the face of mind-boggling power of the enemy had yet to be shaken. Um, here's another one. Um, history repeats itself over and over again. There's no question about that. It's just which direction is it going to go? Mm -hmm. Are we going to end up with a bunch of little tr wars as trade breaks down? It's actually talking more about the real world here. Uh, they all get greedy and they all start a fight. Eventually, a lot of pain, whether it's world war, just a lot of civil wars, they all come to realization. This is stupid. Let's just not do this. Let's try <laughs> to help each other. We've become a globalized and financial ecosystem. It's so intertwined that we're feeling the effects very quickly. Leaders around the world think they can do things by themselves, but they can't. Um, let's see. Here we go. Here's a good question. See, this is the master of presentation, manipulating and controlling the news and information. That was the question. Um, and here's what George responds. He does it all behind the scenes. It's in the shadows. He does come out of the dark until he's sure he got control of everything. Of course, until then, he uses everybody. Like the Queen episode one is from in front to put forward his agenda. So that was uh, Lucas. Here's uh, here's Filoni. Mm -hmm. uh, is always going to embroil the undertone of what is going on in the Republic, but she doesn't really know it. Like everyone, she sees the political intrigue, but when you think about it, Padme, the one who actually is the closest to Darth Sidious, uh, one closest to Darth Sidious, <laughs> she's the closest to what actually is going on with the evil in the galaxy. And on some level, she's actually responsible for putting that evil in place. That's a very difficult thing for her, especially since she's always trying to do right. And Palpatine knows that, so he's always using her to push things a certain way for him. Yeah. She's trying to do the most for the people mm, of the Republic, but mm. she's being deceived by someone she thinks is her friend. Even when she has a victory for the first time in Season 5, you see she's starting to feel that it's rather a horrific victory. There are things that he's getting wise to that set her upon wanting to listen to Mon Mothma later on when Mothma starts talking about Palpatine stepping down. Because if you watch episode 3 delete scenes, you see there are not things that Padme even wants to entertain. She supports Palpatine. It takes a bit to, bit to her change her mind. The going sentiment in the Republic is that they ended up 
at war, and their civilization was threatened because they were weak, because Valoran was weak, because they didn't have a standing army. The Jedi get framed, and of course, from starting an army. But one thing that people largely come out of thinking is that the Republic needs to work from strength. That's why democracy dies to thunderous applause, mm-hmm. and they elect an emperor who they think will keep them safe. <laughs> um, let me see if I got any more interviews here. They didn't have, there's not a lot here. Yeah, I mean, uh, but yeah, those, those were the only two. Also, you know, the question it's getting at is, again, when does the Republic fall? Mm-hmm. You know, is it? Yeah, like like you're saying, the moment you know in the in the Senate, what we see, you know, I shall be reorganized into the first galactic empire. With Darth Sidious, you know, making it happen and being the, the thing that pushes it and the real catalyst, or is it decades of corruption and, and malaise and uh, really opulence in the core at the expense of the periphery and um, you know the yeah the way that that economic tension gradually erodes a sense of well not a sense of gradually actually erodes the practice of of rights, minority rights and uh, diversification rights and the way, the way, you know, the, the way money is power in that way are creating the conditions for Palpatine to step right in. I mean, again, I, I don't think we're given an either or answer to that question. We are set. We are told yes. And yet part of what we're told is that the Bane plan and, and, you know, I mean, in legends, uh, ostensibly in some sort of version of canon that Plagueis and everyone behind the scenes pulling the strings, creating the conditions, the optimal conditions, the Jedi, again, bringing the higher public, being so hidden and uh, enclosed, what's what's the term, uh, cloistered in the temple, not having the the more positive welcome influence in the galaxy that... They used to have, even as the marshals out on the outer rim, in the core they're respected, but they're not needed really uh, to keep the peace. Because there's, there's some kind of those plants have their own little mini armies for one yeah. thing. You know, but there, there's there's a Pax Americana right going on, and um, you know, it, it, it's it's both in. It's got to be both in that. Yes, decades of all this created the conditions for Palpatine to step in. Yes, Palpatine stepped in. Uh, I, I honestly, I don't know. Again, it's another thing where I don't know. Again, the difference being which story did George Lucas, which aspect of it did George Lucas want to tell, and which aspect of it did Dave Filoni want to tell, and we're more interested in. And but even then, I mean, talk about the 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 you know liberty dying with thunderous applause democracies being given away that does take time that does take decades and so uh yeah i guess the question of whether or not the jedi were deluded in um wanting the republic wanting to save the republic that's another question maybe um maybe it's a similar question to uh you know you have holdo saying holdo and mothman to some extent but also especially emil and holdo later we are the spark that will restore the Republic. You have Poe saying we will spark that will bring down the first order. Two very different things. <laughs> and uh, you know, maybe it's a similar question. I, I'd be curious to see what I'd be curious to see which when Dave Filoni, I gather he's more on the spark that will 
burn down the first order side. But yeah, it again, it, it, this is more interesting, a more interesting question in terms of understanding why Filoni and Lucas, well, why Filoni chose to carve out a different space within the canon, within the story, because he was more interested in exploring this aspect of it. Yeah, you know, it's sort of interesting. Um, and again, it all kind of boils down to kind of that online discussion that maybe Filoni sides with more like, no, there are some fundamental issues with the Jedi Order. Mm-hmm. And I think George very much never saw there were any fundamental issues with the Jedi Order. Interesting. Would he uh, really go that far? Would he really say there are nothing, there's no issues? Maybe, maybe he does. I, nothing, I've never, I mean, I read the interview and he seems to be pretty okay yeah. with it. Like, there, there is a know, difference I, there. That'll all admit there is a difference there. <laughs> I think a lot of, I mean, also the sad thing is we never got much and we don't know much. I mean, well, that's not true. We actually do have quite a uh, yeah. bit. Again, David did, did Star Wars, yeah. did a, a thing on the Star on George Lucas is uh, on, on his sequels. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, whether or, in, but, you know, we know some things about, let me actually see if I can find it. What just quickly, just, I guess what I'm saying is George would say it's more complicated than that. And I think Filoni would agree it's more complicated than that. But yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe the, the causation of it uh, is less, it's less the case of a systemic evil. or And by evil, yeah, I mean, using that again, theology time, using that uh, a systemic evil within the Jedi Order itself versus personal choices on the fact on the part of actual council members uh, well here's here's some here's some here's some george quotes about his sequel trilogy mm-hmm. um you know uh, you talk about luke right now uh luke he puts out the word so out of a hundred thousand jedi maybe 50 or 100 are left the jedi have grown again from scratch so luke has to find two and three year olds and train them it'll be 20 mm-hmm. years before you have a new generation of jedi by the end of the trilogy luke would have rebuilt much of the jedi and would have had a renewal of the new republic with Leia and Organa becoming supreme chancellor, charge of everything. She ended up being the chosen one. Um, obviously, you know it's hard to kind of discern everything in like a, a, a excerpt on that. Sure. But it sounds like Luke's not really changing much about while well, the successful new Jedi Order comes. Like, well, Truth. find the Force babies and here you go, new ge- mm-hmm. generation. Yeah. Keep doing it. Let's just keep rebuilding. Um, yeah, whereas which I. I which, I, as you know, me, I, I actually kind of, this is might be where I kind of think George might be in the wrong, or, or at least I'm, I don't, mm-hmm. I, I might side with maybe both Filoni take or just other EU authors of, maybe Luke should just find some adults. Like, <laughs> do we have to yeah. doing the baby thing? I mean, I know they're not kidnapping them. Yeah. I mean, the parents come up willingly, but maybe give some, find some, maybe let adults, mm-hmm. is it? Or do we really have to go for the too old to begin the training right. thing? I mean, I know, I guess you could say, well, it bit them in the butt because they have Anakin. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of, on the one hand, I actually do kind of get where George is coming from because these are uber powerful, super powered humans mm-hmm. who, if one Not of them goes nuts, <laughs> people. Yeah. <laughs> if one of them goes nuts, mm-hmm. it's always a disaster. It always causes a bajillion <laughs> deaths, and Lord help, force help you. You know, because so you kind of maybe you guys start from a young age and just really nail it in. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I feel like eventually, I know this is fantasy, so we're still going to twist it. But eventually, it's like, 
aren't you going to kind of get a little sterile with your way of thinking if you're just starting from babies? Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe get an adult with some life experience. Maybe they can add something new, but I don't know. I mean, I guess if, if we just go by that blurb, Jordan didn't see mm -hmm. a problem with just keep going, keep going it the way. Yeah. I mean, here's what's nice is actually Dave Filoni has the opportunity to answer that question in a, in a live action TV series called Ahsoka. <laughs> and well, that, I, I'm going to account here for a second. I think he kind of did answer that question with yeah. Grogu. Look, right. Grogu, yeah. look, 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 look Grogu picked. He picked Din. He's, yeah. I think Grogu's path is not the way of the Jedi. Mm -hmm. I think the path of him is just he wants to be with his Mando dad and do Mando dad yeah. stuff. So, you know, I don't know and, if... if oh, go ahead. No, I'm going to say, you, I don't know. Sorry. You go, you, <laughs> you go, you go. <laughs> okay, okay. I don't know. And, you know, you could you could argue Dave is trying portraying this as a failure of Luke for, you know, or maybe not. No, well, no, I won't say that because, you know what, I, I take it back. I take that mm. back because, you know what, Luke did give him the opportunity to choose. Yeah. So, you know what, that that was good on Luke, you know, you know, like, oh, Luke failed because he couldn't convince Grogu to, if anything, that's a good thing, Luke, yeah. at least. But, you know, it's kind of, kind of, you know, I think the audience would take it as, well, Luke, you know, Grogu told his dad, so yay! And, you know, Jedi don't want to let Mando see him. How dare they? So I can see people yeah. maybe taking that the wrong way. Now you go, you go. Well, yeah, a few things there. So um, shout out to both uh, Din from Buddy Din from F one hundred five and Dom in in their responses to uh, to that man, that book of it's book of Boba Fett episode. It's not the Mandalorian. It's book of Boba Fett. <laughs> apparently, um, that episode. I mean, my response was, Luke, what are you doing? putting all that pressure on this kid you know of course he's going to choose his loved one we want him to be a jedi we want him to be a jedi no but um din from f105 clear my buddy din he says no he's being the jedi master and presenting grogu with the attachment if you're ready to commit to the jedi order then commit if not return to your father and, and foster that I do think Grogu is going to find a way to be able to have his cake and eat it too, have his his cook his nuggies and eat it too. Uh, <laughs> being a Mandalorian Jedi, in that sense. Um, but there's also, but that's the thing. This is also what Ryan Johnson laid down. That you know, when we see him in that film, he has, uh, you know, he has been so hardcore committed to the. Uh, yeah, the, the the power of detachment that he uh you know detachment and also stamping out the dark side i mean in this one triggered moment of weakness he's willing to kill his nephew and that sets him off entirely on it's time for the jedi to end this entire order this entire thing is debacle we're not worth existing um we've got to got to stop because maybe yeah he and this is i think this is Dom's perspective when, when this episode came out, um, his attempt to rebuild the order as it was uh, before Order sixty six, that was folly. That was actually fell apart because, similar to uh, the Children of the Watch, those rules don't quite make sense for a reformed order trying to sort its way in a galaxy that is actually kind of more secular now. I mean. It's another thing I've I've brought up a little bit is that the New Republic is compared to the old Republic, compared to the High Republic, the New Republic is a more secular society where the Jedi aren't as prominent. They're welcome, 
you know, they're, you know, they're celebrating their, it's legal. <laughs> um, you know, uh, Bob Martha wouldn't mind some Jedi Marshall, probably. Yeah, but they aren't institutionally going out and setting out setting up a system where uh, they're a pillar of of galactic society like the way they were, because they just don't have the numbers and don't have the time. And maybe Luke is off doing his own thing, right? Um, but anyway, the point being, yeah, this is more of a Dave Filoni story in that the the way that Je- I think maybe if George Lucas seems to be saying the way the Jedi were uh, before the fall, that can continue. That's eternal. That's always going to be relevant and beneficial for the galaxy and sustainable. Whereas Ryan Johnson and Dave Filoni are saying, and and Dave Filoni was involved in the last Jedi. We know that advising uh, in conversations with Ryan Johnson. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe uh, we should. We want to tell a story of where that falls apart, because you know, in part, I don't know if this is um, this is Shadow of the Sith, right? Is it Shadow of the Sith yeah. where you know Luke treats Ben with that detachment, with that almost like coldness, like you're not my nephew, you know, you're not Leia's son, you're. You're my Padawan, and we want to keep those strict boundaries for the good of the order. And that, I mean, that's a brilliant move by Adam Christopher to say that's part of what causes it to fall apart. So, so I disagree yeah, I, a little bit, actually. Okay. Um, I disagree on Ryan Johnson. I actually think Ryan's more in George's camp a little bit more because you actually watch Last Jedi. Yeah, you know, Ray is really like, yeah. you know, the Jedi Jedi are fine. <laughs> You're the one who's in the wrong loop. And, you know, obviously we don't know where Ray's story is going. So, and Brian yeah. Johnson, you know, whether or not he's involved or other people are involved, you know, like this could change the context. But in the context of just The Last Jedi, forget the other stuff. Yeah. Ray's never going, we got to, ch- we can be better. We can change our ways. She's just like, we need Jedi. The Jedi yeah. should continue. She's not going, we get, we got to get rid of the marriage thing. We got to get rid of the baby thing. <laughs> She's just like, the Jedi could keep going. Period. There is no real yeah. difference in rules, or she even takes the ancient Jedi text. She she has yeah. them. She's studying up on them. In the Lego one, she's actually trying to teach him via Finn. Yeah. Um. Um. If anything, I mean, I will. Oh, I got a comment. Let's see. We got a comment. Oh, this Dave. Oh, just Dave Filoni is the man. Yes, he is. Facts. Um. <laughs> that is fact. But in the in the context of the Last Jedi, mm-hmm. at least of Ryan's never. Ryan Donnelly does not give a critique of the Jedi Order at all, and the person no. who gives the critique of the Jedi Order, Luke, he's wrong. He sees the antagonist um, to Ray, who says, "No, we keep going. We keep doing this. I'm not going to be the last Jedi." Yeah, I mean, I'll say one of the things I love about Last Jedi so much is that it is more affirming of tradition, in a way, in its own way. I mean, not blindly. I don't know. I, I, for me, Ray is is just it's asking completely different questions. Like we need Jedi at all. We can sort of the details later. <laughs> we need Luke. I mean, her, she's saying we we need you, Luke. The First Order is taking over. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. Sort of details later. She, you know, when it comes to attachments, attachments. I mean, you got you got the kiss and Rise of Skywalker. There's that. Um. I, I don't know. I, I, I think with Ray, I mean, again, the thing I love about Last Jedi is that 
insofar as it is concerned with the larger scale questions, it's maybe similar to Canaan, right? How can we take what we've learned, take what's being passed on to us, but work at it for what makes sense for today, for what makes sense right now, for the need in front of us. I mean, the thing Yoda keeps bonking Luke over the head with. What's the need actually in front of you? How can how can these page turners support that? What do you need to actually be more creative about? Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean that. So so that's where I'm coming from. Yeah, with with Ray, I think with Luke, it is specifically this question of you are stuck in these ideals of again what a Jedi should be. It's almost to say, you know, this in a way. I mean, it's it's. I mean, Last Jedi is so full of meta commentary. Um, in a, I mean, it asks questions at the depth that George Lucas asks questions. It asks questions of George Lucas. <laughs> and that's what got people so annoyed and pissed off about, right? Not my Luke, all that nonsense. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's what I'm getting at is, yeah, and, and coming to see even in this conversation is, yeah, Luke has Lucas's sense of, or had Lucas's sense of the rightness of the Jedi when that gets shattered, when that gets deconstructed, um, that, you know, like you talk about with the children of the watch, for example, it's a similar sort of response of when that gets thrown into crisis, people tend to swing so far the other way. Whereas Ray is coming in. She's not, she hasn't experienced that crisis that she did with, uh, with Ben Solo, with you know, what Luke did with Ben, which for Luke I think is sort of a mini Order sixty six, a little bit, not directly, but I think he feels like he just did to his nephew what his father did to the younglings in the temple, you know. <laughs> um, so oh yeah, yeah, it, uh, you know what I mean. It, it's it's mm-hmm. that dynamic at play. Yeah, I'll I'll push back maybe just a teeny bit and okay. say that. You know, again, Last Jedi and doesn't even was on Luke's side of the things. Mm-hmm. Doesn't go into like how he trained Ben, how he structured yeah. Jedi. Like Luke would say, you know, I, I had to find two year olds and had to raise them yeah. from babies. You it, know, um, it's Adam Christopher. It's Charles Soule. It's yeah. So that's why, again, I think yeah. I think on like a pure standpoint, I do think yeah, that yeah. uh, Ryan does sit more <laughs> on the George Lucas, the Jedi. It, it, the Jedi are fine. They don't really need to get into the the rules and like, do we need a council? Do we need to set up the headquarters on yeah. Coruscant? You know, no, 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 no one was asking those questions in any of the trilogies. And you know, maybe that's next. Maybe that's the next race story for all we yeah. know. Which he has to ask those questions, or maybe not. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I mean, I'll get so, it. I'll get it. One point there is mm-hmm. okay. I'm going to go back to this because it's in my my head with the day job. Um, so, 1958, uh, John John the 23rd, he he comes comes into the papacy, and he and things seem to be going great, and and everything. But he sees down the pipe um, that the Catholic Church is going to lose all the relevance and all the coherence. Do, do do people young people actually care and connect? And he turns out he was right that in in a lot of places, especially Western Europe, that they're just would be this massive wave of secularism that would come across. Mm-hmm. What he did to uh, to not stave off, but just to try to find a, a good way forward was to say, 
came in to actually do this thing called the council, which getting all the bishops of the world, just a major event in the 20th century called Second Vatican Council. And what they did was um, say, okay, we are going to find out how to be more connected, more relevant, more in tune with what people care about in the world. And to help us do that, we're actually going to go back to our more core beliefs of what we what we're meant to care about and meant to believe that maybe certain in some ways not completely but it kind of growing a bit dusty and a bit stale and a bit brittle in some ways mm-hmm. um you know the the image is need to open up the window to let the let some air in one of the ways they did that again is, is to go back and to go back to the sources and the the it's a, like french and italian words that i'm not going to bother with i see with ray again because she isn't she hasn't experienced order 66 she hasn't experienced uh the destruction of of ben's temple uh praxium thing or luke's sorry um she's more purely able to go back to the sources she's more purely just concerned with what is the richness of this jedi tradition so again i think it's it's not uh like again she yeah like you said she isn't concerned either way it isn't a question of whether or not um the those structures and disciplines matter now either way it's not a judgment on that either way it's simply what are Mm -hmm. the what are the what does the ancient wisdom say what do the these ancient traditions that do go back thousands Mm -hmm. of years but also yes some things that go back 60 years maybe if that can be helpful you know what i mean so it's, it's a it's a distinction with it with a difference <laughs> uh, right um i got two more things i just want to read for you because I, I found them and sense, i think but... <laughs> I, I know we're going long i'll do yeah, yeah. the two last things we read and then because one of them involved monks and yes. i know how much you like the whole monk thing but this is uh this is, from the, <laughs> this is the phantom menace prime of the jedi featurette um this is george i believe this is supposed to be george um the first real scene in the movie is about phantom menace the first real scene in the movie is with Palpatine. Oh, this is talking about the Attack of the Clones. Um, the yeah. first real scene in the movie is with Palpatine the Jedi. It's primarily designed to set up the fact that the Jedi are having a hard time keeping peace and justice in the galaxy, and that they aren't really designed as an army. They're designed as a kind of police force and diplomatic corps. Mm-hmm. I need to remind the audience here that the Jedi aren't really, they aren't enough of them to conduct a full-scale war, which is something that is more or less unknown to the galaxy at this point. When the Republic came into being, it pretty much ended all wars because of the Senate and doing things through negotiation. And here is the monk part. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is from the behind the scenes Revenge of the Sith circa 2005. I think I'm reading. Oh, no, this is Celebration 5 main event 2010, I think. Um, it's the monk idea. Whether you go to the Christian monks, the Knights of Templar, or mm-hmm. you're going to the Buddhist monks, Kung Fu monks, get a warrior monk. And the idea with Star Wars is that the monks really aren't warriors. They're negotiators. They are just the mafia. Or Teddy Roosevelt would say, you know, negotiate disputes between plans between things. They aren't like policemen or anything, but they negotiate with a big stick, with big lightsaber. So if you don't sort of, sort of come to the conclusion with your dispute with each other, I will sell it for you. Um, so you keep going back to the mafia. It's a weird thing. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, George... The mafia. It's like the mafia. Everything's like the mafia. <laughs> um, um, but I, I found that kind of interesting as well. That yeah. George's kind of view of like 
again, the Jedi being subservient to Republic is not a bad thing. That's kind of what they're supposed to do. Because I also like what he says about the galaxy hasn't had a war for a thousand years. Yeah. They didn't. They don't. Do, I don't do that anymore. You see. <laughs> I mean, to to be fair, the system was working. Yeah. In, except when it wasn't. <laughs> um, and and again, that gets back to the the whole when does the Republic fall debate, right? Um, if the system's working, but Palpatine's the bad egg, ruining everything, totally can't have nice things. Or was the system not working and and Palpatine just stepped in? So that 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 I think is is a big difference. I think between maybe what Filoni and Lucas is. I think Filoni sees the whole Republic system as like. I just, a lot of people online do too. It's like, no, this is this all sucks. I think George sees like, yeah, Palpatine is the bad egg. I, you know, I've kind of always sort of been somewhat in the side of if Mace had killed Palpatine at that moment, there might have been a little turmoil. But I think the Republic could still come out of it. Maybe you get the Jedi kind of get a little bit of a bruised mm-hmm. eye, but I don't yeah. know if you get full on Order sixty six. Um, right. But uh, that's just my head cannon. Um, I mean, who knows what, what Maul would say? I mean, that's the thing. I mean, that's the point. As he says, "Look around you; it's already fallen." Yeah, yeah. But again, that's a that's a Dave Filoni story. So, <laughs> uh, okay. So one more, one more thing, and I just want to talk right. about. And then we could go. Um, All good. I realized I had a bunch. I actually did have a quote for about the balance of the force, but we pretty much covered that. Um, you know, let's talk a little about Favreau and Filoni for a second. Um, Favreau. There are no interviews here. Favoloni. There are no interviews here. That sadly, this is for the Tumblr blog from David Talk Star Wars. But by the way, thank you if you were listening. Uh, I'm sorry if I butchered everything and did it injustice. I apologize. Uh, but your interviews were great. Um, but now for Favoloni, um, you know, I I see theirs as a, a partnership, probably more than master and apprentice. Yes, for sure. For sure. I think Favro is probably more the. I don't want to say like the senior, but probably more the senior because he's got more Hollywood experience in general. Yeah, and you know, I mean, you know, he 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 got a more a repertoire outside of just Lucasfilm. He's done big movies, he's done Iron Man, he's done Elf, yeah. Chef, Lion King. This. He's the senior when it comes to the the craft of filmmaking. Filoni's the senior when it comes to Star Wars. And, and oh yeah, is, is and so and they, they complement each other and they work together. Oh yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think that's why, like, on the production side, you got Favreau probably leading more the charge there uh, yeah. in terms of producing for sure. Although I'm sure Filoni's just as involved as well, kind of learning more the the craft of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of all I wanted to say on that. That's just that's all I got. Yeah, um, I mean, I got a... yeah, yeah, we got it. Got a few comments here. Um, ah, just some stuff. Yeah, definitely the man. Yes. Um, Oh, sorry. Thank you. Let's do this. Yeah, old story. Just yeah, Dave Filoni. I'll, I'll read this out. I mean, I don't quite know what this says, but can add a lot to the story of Star Wars. He's very clever to do Luke. He had uh, clones. Cannot wait to see the fight. Yeah, sure. Yeah, um, let's go for it. Thank you. I do what I can. For Christ's sake, Anakin. I've been doing that for a while. Um, yeah, all good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Just, just reading, just reading different comments there. Yeah. Thanks everyone for commenting. That's that's very helpful. Um, you know, if you if you have a question to ask, feel free to let us know. But uh, all that, Joel. Any, do you have any any final thoughts on uh, Filoni and Lucas specifically? 
Yeah, <laughs> not fabulous. Um, no, um, you know, I think we went over some very interesting points where they differ. But I think, you know, I think to say, oh, you know, they they do agree. You know, yeah. like I said at the at the top, you know, it's like you know, as here's here's one more for 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 for, for George from George. He said. I took my Padawan here, Lucas said, using the Star Wars lingo for Jedi Apprentice, referring to the Clone Wars director, Dave Filoni, and said, we're not doing that anymore. Um, <laughs> so, you know, he took he took Dave under his wing, you know, yeah. and I'm, there's lots of years, and they're still in communication with each other. Mm-hmm. They might not ever see everything similarly, but, you know, Dave still, I think, gets the core of Star Wars down. We see that in his work, yeah. especially with shows like Rebels in particular, um, I think is a very true to form Star Wars story. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, uh, you know, it's just kind of interesting to say, you know, Star Wars hasn't been George's vision since 2012 at the EU since 1990. True. Other people have come in with their own interpretations of the material. Um, and you know, maybe, maybe they will take it in new directions. Maybe they will kind yeah. of say, maybe that's not how they look at film because everyone doesn't look at film the same way. I mean, otherwise, why would we be having this discussion True. of whether or not the Jedi were in the wrong or not? Um, so yeah, that is very interesting. I just think it's very interesting looking mm-hmm. at the minutiae and just seeing like, oh, yeah. these two people who like, oh, they think exactly the same. Well, no one thinks exactly the same. And here are some of the differences. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it definitely gets at the complexity of the complex questions that George brought up with these, these three films that people mm-hmm. kind of wrote off first, <laughs> you know, hashtag prequels there, but, uh, yeah, and then I mean, so credit to George for for bringing up these questions. Yeah, I mean, I'll say, insofar as both both Filoni and Lucas explore the complexity of uh, of the Jedi as as agents of the light, as servants of the light, the mafia, <laughs> but a mafia at the same time, compromised by real world circumstances, real galaxy circumstances, both. Uh, empowered emboldened to courage by their passions but also compromised by their passions and all of that coming to a head with a certain anakin skywalker yeah again i it, it gets it the fact that we, i i don't know where i land on these two <laughs> frankly says they're both they're both compelling in their own way and, and you know i don't i don't know if i can actually give a a reasonable conclusion which i prefer because again, sometimes I prefer the way George and yeah, Ryan Johnson lifts up the ideal of the Jedi. Sometimes I prefer and, and find compelling the way Filoni explores the, the dark corruption of the Jedi and how they let everything go to Malachor. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and you know, at the which Ryan Johnson puts in Luke, Luke's voice at the height of their powers, right? You know, mm-hmm. The let the cities rise from the empire with them, but that's uh, yeah. I mean, that's again why I'm a prequelist, why I'm uh, love everything Filoni touches, and yeah, explore excited to see what he does next. But uh, if we don't have any questions for now, it's a good place to wrap things up. Um, let me just take a swig of water. That's a lot. <laughs> Sorry, thanks for joining us, everyone. Uh, let us know what you thought, continue to engage in the comments below. Mm-hmm. Also on on the Underworld Facebook. <coughs> Sorry, guys. Oh goodness. <laughs> uh, on Twitch, on Twitter, um, on and also on Twitter. Uh, yeah, give us a listen on Twitter and Instagram at Ion Cannon Pod, E Y E O N C A N O N P O D, on the Underworld Facebook page. 
and of course on on our Twitch as well on the Underworld Twitch. You know, though, if they if they see a, a nice comment that you know there there are partners in Star Wars, um, yeah, and so you know, please do give this video a like, subscribe to this channel, uh, like the the Facebook group, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, it's already join our Discord, hang out with us there. Join us Friday night for Fall Guys. Gonna be a fun time. Uh, Joel, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me at JID2021 again, JID2021 on Twitter. You can also follow us at Ion Cannon Pod. Um, oh, and also in the link in the description, we have the full, uh, we have the link to the Tumblr blog, which we used quite heavily. Again, thank you, uh, David Talk Star Wars. If you're still watching this, your interviews were very helpful and very insightful. Uh, we love it. Uh, you know, yay. Uh, thank you Doing so the much. Doing the forces work. And of course, you can follow me on, you can be with us at the SWU Discord server, which we know we have lots of Star Wars talk, games, and lots of fun, and sometimes movie nights. There we go. That's true. Do movie nights as well. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at NEUG45, uh, on Instagram at MNEUG1138, where you can see a video of me penitentially eating an avocado. Mm. Uh, <laughs> at least a little sliver of avocado. I hate avocado. <laughs> um, yeah, any Twitter. Um, you know, Major League Soccer is on, so I'm starting to tweet about that. But you know, still tweeting about Star Wars as well, uh, commenting on other people's stuff as well. Um, but yeah, and and you know, we're we're keep on going, keep it on going. Next week, uh, as mentioned, you know, all the the bits of news that I mentioned about an hour and a half ago, we're gonna get into that. We're gonna dive into that and talk all about it, uh, just as, as a bit of a roundup, as well as join the the podcast area with. Uh, Book of Boba Fett, not Book of Boba Fett, Mandalorian and Babbage. It's late. I gotta go to bed. <laughs> there we go. Uh, it's all the same. It's, it's all, all the same. same. You know, Book of, Boba Fett. Book of Mandalorian, whatever. Anyways, <laughs> till next week. Uh, Joel, let's let's pull this thing and head home.